0: Welcome to Invention, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, welcome
0: to Invention. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And Robert, I'm going to start off with a question that may seem totally unrelated to today's topic, but we'll get there. How often do you encounter a belief in fate in the modern world, in this technological society that we live in? Ooh, that's a good question.
1: Um, I mean, it, it certainly shows up in, in narratives that we encounter and, and even put a great deal of, um, of thought into, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, in our modern society. But in terms of like personally believing in fate – I don't know. I mean there are, there are certainly various uh, – particularly I'm thinking of various sort of new age belief systems that put a lot of emphasis on sort of setting your own fate and manifesting something in the future and therefore like creating this this line of fate that you're going to follow – uh, but so many other like religious worldviews are going to depend upon like the, the importance of, of free will. Mm-hmm. You're making a choice to do, you know, to go this way or go that way. And perhaps things are more or less on the rails once you have made that choice. But then I feel like in the secular world, there's more of an understanding of um, of chaos and, <laughs> uh, and chance. And maybe we... You know, we exaggerate our chances regarding various things, but for the most part, we realize that uh, we're it's, we're kind of at the whim of the universe.
0: I feel like it shows up some in uh, in some contexts more than others. Like you, still very often get the feeling of uh, people falling in love and believing they were meant for each other. That's true. You do encounter it there. That's like a certain kind of belief in fate. And I would say that belief in fate is not exactly the same thing as the sort of personality trait of fatalism, which you Mm -hmm. do encounter sometimes. Yeah. I mean, when you get into the whole, you know, question
1: of free will, which we certainly have uh, quite a bit on our other show, Stuff to Blow Your Mind, you know, there's always that... um, you know, that view of looking at things is just completely, you know, everything is predetermined by your environment and uh, and the brain and that we're, you know, we're not, the argument that we're not even necessarily making any choices. We're just on this trajectory. And I guess you could you could very much align that worldview with an idea of fate. You know, what else could we be? What else could we do being what we are?
0: Yeah, but then again, you have the idea that, uh, I mean, it's very common belief among, say, philosophers and uh, and and physicists and stuff that there's this this principle of compatibilism, which mm-hmm. says that well, maybe we do live in a physically deterministic universe, and yet, nevertheless, because of some features of the way we conceive of free will, the idea of determinism in physics and free will in our lives are not really actually in conflict.
1: And of course, I mean there're going to be cultural differences here as well I mean certainly in in the United states there 's still the, you know this idea of uh, you know, American exceptionalism and combine that with celebrity worship and celebrity culture and you have like, you have some kind of weird uh, warped takes on what fate is and how it works you know like is the, is there' just sort of this idea in society that you are You know, you're destined for greatness or are you Mm -hmm. defying the fates by, uh,
0: you know, grasping after your own greatness? Well, this all came to mind because we're talking about scissors today. (laughs) So what's the connection here? Well, I was thinking about how the ancient Greeks were – in in many ways, really into fate and destiny. I think you'd probably find some some counter strains of thought running in, uh, through ancient Greece. But it was a it was a common folk belief among the ancient Greeks that a person's life was already a sort of pre written text, decided in total for them at the moment of their birth. And then a more limited version of this was that even if all the exact details of your life weren't predetermined, the length of one's life and the time and the nature of one's death were all decided in advance and even the gods couldn't intervene. But if even the gods couldn't intervene to change your fate, who's deciding your fate in the first place? If it's not Zeus, then who? And here is where a trio of excellent creepy characters from mythology comes in. Uh, According to one popular form of Greek religion and folk belief, the deciders of each person's individual destiny are the morai or the three fates. These are depicted as three divine women spinning out our lives as strands of thread or twine. And they've they've each got their own name and personality. So there is Clotho, the spinner, who creates the thread of life upon her spindle. And then there's Lachesis, the allotter, who measures out a certain length of the thread of your life and then... There is Atropos, the inflexible or the inevitable, who makes the decision final and secures the circumstances of each person's death by snipping off the thread of life with a pair of scissors or shears.
1: Yeah, there's it's
0: they get worse as they proceed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they do, yeah. Uh, there, there's a great line. The poet John Milton wrote about them in the uh, poem Lycidas in the section where he – I think he's sort of talking about the cruel ironies of fate. And he writes that, you know, just when we think we're about to come to some great reward, quote, and think to burst out into sudden blaze comes the blind fury with the abhorred shears and slits the thin-spun life.
1: Ha! Huh. Now, the one of the interesting things about this to bring everything back to invention for a second is that – is that we're, we're looking at a, just a, yet another example of technology, and in this case, essentially manufacturing, Mm -hmm. uh, like linear manufacturing, being used as a metaphor for something about life, for understanding the mysteries of the universe.
0: Yeah, coming to see the most fundamental attributes of human life itself through our ancient technological innovations, like the wheel. Mm -hmm. How many metaphors about life and death involve the wheel, and now spinning an ancient textile technology. (laughs) But I love the idea of Atropos, the the inevitable, because it's, it's so Uh, It's so spooky and empowering. The next time you're scrapbooking or the next time you're wrapping Christmas presents and you've got that pair of scissors in your hand, you think of yourself as Atropos, the inflexible, the blind fury with the abhorred shears who cannot be reasoned with, cannot be bargained with, who doesn't feel pity, who will not stop Mm -hmm. until the snip.
1: You know, uh, Stephen King wrote uh, an excellent novel years back titled Insomnia Mm -hmm. uh, about a a man who's having increasing trouble getting to sleep, experiencing insomnia. But he begins to sort of waken up to – all these the sort of supernatural goings on in the the town and in the world, uh, you know, j- just outside of the uh, you know the, the vision of the waking uh, people. Mm-hmm. And uh, three uh, three fates essentially show up in that story as well with their authentic Greek names. But instead of being uh, you know these three women, they're uh, displayed as as three little bald doctors
0: with scissors. <laughs> well i think that 's appropriate. Uh, little bald doctors are about creepy enough to match this myth
1: and it 's actually rather i don 't know to
0: what extent King
1: was thinking about this, but one of the things we end up uh, we 're going to end up discussing in this episode is that this that of course shears and scissors are used not only for domestic purposes but also for surgical purposes right so it makes sense that both uh, you know these uh, these sort of uh, archetypical um, uh, you know uh you know homemakers from greek mythology mm-hmm. would have the scissors at their disposal but also some sort of an imagined doctor as well uh so i was looking around at, at uh, you know for other examples of scissor related mythology and uh, you know th- this is not an exhaustive list but a few different uh examples came up from different points in time um some certainly more modern than others one of my favorites has always been the the english nursery bogey uh the red-legged scissor man ooh is a whole rhyme about the red-legged scissor man. And basically, this is just like a vile goblin creature that will come and uh, cut off your thumbs if you keep sucking your thumb.
0: Oh, OK. So we talked about English nursery bogeys back in our Stuff to Blow Your Mind episode about Jenny Green Teeth. Yeah. Where I think generally the idea is that many of these – Uh, stories are about monsters that were made up in order to teach children a lesson or to discourage a prohibited activity. Yes, to
1: scare them into obedience (laughs) where you're like, look, I'm, I'm tired of arguing with you. Just look at it this way. If you don't stop sucking your thumb, a monster is going to come and cut those thumbs off.
0: Yeah, if you don't stop playing by the filled-in Marl Pits, then Jenny Greenteeth is going to pull you under. <laughs> now,
1: another uh, example that came up is uh, an entity known as uh, Kuchisaki Ona. Uh, this is the Japanese slit mouth woman uh spirit uh, that's said to brandish a pair of scissors and also has like a gaping slit mouth uh like her cheek you know has been uh, cheeks have been cut open on either side which i think is also called a, what a Glasgow grin uh you know like mm. the joker right uh, has in uh what the the, the dark knight return yeah. before the, the second batman movie the dark knight yeah, yeah. and uh Uh, Basically, the idea is like she appears to you and if she and then she'll ask you if she is beautiful and you just have to say yes, because if you say (laughs) no, she'll slash you with her scissors. Oh, my God. And uh, I was reading a little about this. I read that the the idea has caused a public panic as recently as 1979. And the idea itself dates back possibly to the Edo period. But it's very much an example of the overall Japanese vengeful vengeful ghost motif. And that motif, of course course, goes a long ways back and is a staple in Chinese mythology and other East Asian myth cycles as well, hmm. just, you know, often without the scissors.
0: Now, I can't remember, were there any scissors or shears among the possessed demon tools that we talked about in an episode of Stuff to Pull Your Mind not too long ago?
1: I don't recall specifically, but I, you know, I would almost assume they would be on the list. Uh-huh. Now, another example I came to was uh, I was reading Spindle, Shuttle, and Scissors, Ambiguous Power in the Grimm Brothers' Tales by Celia Catlett Anderson. And the author points out that, quote, the Teutonic tradition domesticates the Greek mythology in which spindle and scissors are personified. And so uh, these implements factor into numerous uh, of the the Grimm uh, Grimm brothers' tales, uh, aiding heroines and villains alike with varying magical properties. And so they're they're frequently instruments we see here in some of these other examples of feminine power and a counterpoint to um, to the weaponry of male characters that you uh, you see in say the Grimm brothers' work.
0: I often notice this in uh in, in fiction where when scissors are wielded in a threatening way you know not just on you know, thread or whatever, but when they're wielded as a weapon, it's very often by women against men in mm. movies and stuff. I think about uh, the Hitchcock movie *Dial M for Murder*.
1: Oh yeah, that that was a classic. I was looking up some some famous scissor kills, and mm. that one definitely made the list. Uh, more recently, Jordan Peele's *Us* uh, uh, features scissors. Oh yeah, yeah. And then there's a wonderful scene, like the most memorable scene in the movie *The Exorcist* Part Three. Do you remember this sequence? Horrifying. Yeah, there's a, where and it, the, it's it not especially. It's not even gory. It's uh-huh. just a, a wonderful jump scare involving a, like a gigantic pair. I think they're supposed to be like autopsy or necropsy scissors.
0: Yeah, though, for shearing bones. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Though, though I
1: think they are ultimately an exaggerated prop. Uh, certainly, listeners can write in and and. Correct me on this, but I believe that the, the, the shears that are displayed in that movie are, are way larger than anything you would actually use.
0: The Exorcist 3 is actually pretty scary.
1: Yeah, it is. It has some, has some great parts and some, some wonderful uh, actors in it as well. Uh, Brad Dorff is in it. Yeah, he is. And of course we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Edward Scissorhands, the, <laughs> uh, the unfinished uh, lowercase f Frankenstein with scissors for hands from Tim Burton's 1990 film classic.
0: I think they're deploy. I, I haven't seen Edward hands in a long time, but I remember it's basically like an ironic thing that he's right. got scissors for hands because he is a gentle soul.
1: Right, and it's and it's yeah, it's part of the metaphor of like oh he, he doesn't have uh, he doesn't have hands. He can't uh, he can't uh, touch and, uh, and and have this this very uh, human part of his sensory experience because mm-hmm. instead he has these awful scissors. But then he still manages to do beautiful things with those scissors. And I believe you had a a favorite example from
0: uh, cinematic uh, uh, history as well. Well, just because I can't get the Big Lebowski out of my head. (laughs) I've watched it a hundred times or whatever. Of course, there's the dream sequence with the big horrible, you know, the German nihilists from the band Autobahn with their giant scissors. Yes.
1: I actually think the Big Lebowski example is quite interesting because they're ultimately – they show up as a manifestation, a dream manifestation of castration fear. Uh And again, scissors and shears are often a part of castration fear. And here we've seen all these examples examples of them being attributed to malevolent female entities brandishing them as a result of male mythmaking throughout history
0: yeah well, maybe now that we have suitably over-dramatized and read a lot of uh, like myth and horror into this common household item, let's come back to the common household item and think about scissors and shears as an invention.
1: Oh, yeah, and I have to say a big fan of scissors, we're a big scissor household. Uh-huh. My my son has always been obsessed with crafting. Uh, he's 7 now and I actually cannot remember the last time he used safety scissors or children's scissors because mm-hmm. he's just used just straight up kitchen scissors for the longest. Um, it's like he prefers them. We try like years ago. We tried to get him to use other scissors. He's like, nope. I got to use some real scissors, Mom. <laughs>
0: what? Yeah.
1: He demanded the unsafe ones. Well, I mean, he uses them safely, so I right. guess they are the safe scissors. But uh. but we also, you know, we tried to you know, get him like chopping vegetables pretty early too and like treating him, you know, teaching him to be careful with these tools and to to, not take their sharpness for granted.
0: Oh, that's great actually. Yeah, I think it's good to get kids accustomed to using blades early on in their lives. I know, I I encounter a lot of adults who I think are still afraid of knives in the kitchen. Like mm -hmm. it hampers their ability to cook because they kind of, it looks like they're trying not to get too close to it (laughs) if they're using
1: it. Yeah, it's kind of like trying to to light a match when you're afraid of the, the Fire that's going to Uh spark on the end, you know, and you end up like just, you know, destroying
0: match after
1: match in an attempt to
0: strike it. Yeah. Okay, so when you look at a pair of scissors, uh, what's actually going on here? I guess we don't need to explain too much about what scissors are and how they work because you've all encountered them, but we'll do the short version and mention a couple of mechanical features of scissors that you might not realize. So the basic mechanics are pretty simple. Scissors or shears could also be referred to as a kind of double lever. The two arms are usually sharpened into blades, and those blades slide directly against one another at a kind of moving point of contact as they open and Close. And I guess a, a variation on this would be the kind of scissors that uh, – or the kinds of shears that are not sliding scissors that go back and forth across each other but like uh, clippers. You know, you might see where there's like a flat surface and a blade that comes flush right, against yeah. it, uh, which is somewhat uh, different but also has has basically the same mechanism of action. Now, the purpose, especially with the crossing blades, is to apply sheer force in order to cut a target object. It might be paper, might be fabric, might be the thread of life. Uh, but a, a slightly less intuitive mechanical feature of scissors that I did start thinking about, and I thought this was kind of interesting, when you describe the scariest scissors from monster folktales and horror, what do they look like?
1: Oh, well, they, they tend to be those big, big. what I think of as big grandma fabric scissors.
0: Yeah, long pointy blades, yeah. right? But the cutting power of a pair of scissors operates like a lever, which means to have stronger cutting power, a pair of scissors should actually have long handles and short blades. And this is why when you see scissors made for cutting weak targets like paper, they can have relatively short handles and long blades. uh, Though a tip for using scissors is that they've got the most cutting power at a point of contact really close to the fulcrum, so down closest to your fingers. Um, on the other hand, when you see scissors or shears made for really powerful cutting of tough materials like metal or leather or thick plant matter, they tend to have longer handles and shorter blades. The longer handles function like a longer lever for more mechanical power at the cutting point. So really the scariest scissors from our scissor nightmares and scissor horror should have short blades and long handles. That's what could really hurt you.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, that's why those scissors in The Exorcist Three are ultimately, uh, I think, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And why you also see uh, you see various uh, forums online where people are like, "What are those scissors? What do you call those scissors?" And I think the answer is you call those big scary prop scissors <laughs> because in reality, the scissors you would use to you know to, to cut a part of a cadaver during an autopsy would be powerful, but they would not be like visibly gigantic.
0: Uh, well, I don't remember the ones I remember did seem to have long handles from the movie. Do I, I think they did? Like they, oh, okay. they did.
1: Well, they did have long handles, but uh, I think they also had kind of like large, like super blades. long yeah. blades. Yeah, yeah. They they looked a bit like um, like like trimming shears, like you would trim on a used to trim a hedge. Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I can't wait to hear from all the medical professionals out there who are writing in. Like, no, I actually use those Exorcist Three shears. Here's what I use them for. If if that's the case, please tell us. Yeah, yeah. We would love to hear from you. Uh, but – so a question we always like to ask when we're looking at an invention is what came before? So how could we ask that about scissors? I don't know, but we'll try. Maybe we should take a break and then we'll we'll come back and address that. Let's do it.
1: All right. We're back. So – What came before scissors? Well, I I think the obvious answer here is that, you know, ultimately scissors are an evolutionary step beyond a single cutting instrument, beyond like a single blade. Mm -hmm. And I I think we should stop and think again about the challenges of cutting something, say a strand of hair. Okay. So— To use a common blade, what are you going to do? You're going to need to in some way hold the hair in place for the blade to cut via that that pushing force and that sheer stress that we've talked about already. Mm -hmm. And if you have a a sharp razor, which is, of course, a specialized knife and nothing more, um, you know, and if if you're going to cut close to the skin, you know, if you're shaving Mm – that's easy enough. The hair is basically in held in place uh, due to the uh, you know the, the, the close proximity to to the skin, right? Yeah. Uh, you know that's just shaving in a nutshell. But if you're going to cut up further up the strand, you need to hold it in place somehow. Scissors do that. They hold the strand in place long enough for the pushing force and the sheer stress to act on it via a small area, the edge of the blade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a way, I think that forces us to stop and rethink what it is to cut anything, Mm -hmm. you know, that it it all comes down to, uh, you know, applying that pressure, applying that force, and then it's all coming down to a very thin portion of the instrument. It's also important to note that scissors allow us to make very precise cuts, uh, and for this, I want to read just a, an excellent summary of this from a, 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 a paper titled "Modeling the Forces of Cutting with Scissors" by Mavash et al. And uh, and ultimately, like this paper gets into a, you know a lot more technical uh, um, areas, but uh, I, I just found this particular summary just you know uh, you know very um, very effective. Mm-hmm. Quote, scissors are possibly the most effective and precise tools for cutting of thin tissues in open and laparoscopic surgery and thin objects in daily tasks. To see this, compare cutting of a sheet of paper using a pair of scissors with that of using a sharp blade. When cutting with a blade, the paper should be firmly held, and it is difficult to make precise cuts. However, when cutting with a pair of scissors, the scissor blades themselves locally hold the paper, making it easy to have precise cuts cuts. An interaction between scissors and an object involves two main physical phenomena, local deformation and fracture. As soon as the scissor blades contact the object, the object is locally deformed. When the deformation reaches a certain level, fraction occurs and the object is separated.
0: Yeah, I think about the difference but because I have tried to cut paper with a knife before. Mm-hmm. It's it's not easy. I mean, the paper tears. You kind of end up pushing on it, especially if the blade is dull. Even if the blade is sharp, it's hard to make straight or precise cuts with a knife. The knife kind of wants to go all over the place. It wants yeah. to curve off course and stuff.
1: I also often think about this with another uh, another invention uh, that I often find um, irritating, and that is the big industrial paper cutter with the big, uh-huh. uh, uh, like machete blade guillotine. Uh, on the side Uh because like that is essentially generally what's happening is you're being forced to cut with the entire length of the blade with the entire length of the scissors Mm -hmm. so of course it cuts really well down there towards the the axis right uh, but the further up you go the like the it's just going to go off to the side it's going to rip maybe i'm using it wrong
0: uh, or trying to put too much paper in there but i always find it a frustrating experience (laughs) (laughs) now i was wondering about a question having to do with with cutting in the ancient world, in the prehistoric world. And that question is, did prehistoric hominids cut their hair? And if so, how did they do it? Because hmm. obviously you can cut hair with a knife. Uh, it just doesn't seem like the best way. I mean, if you had scissors, it would be a lot easier.
1: Yeah, this is, this is something I, I was thinking about a little while back as well. I think I was at the zoo and I was mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, all the, the wonderful uh, you know, d- different varieties of, of hair and feathers and and, uh, and so forth that you see on animals. But uh, but humans, like we're the ones who can, if left to uh, our own devices, grow enormous and ridiculous beards and mm-hmm. grow enormously ridiculous long hair. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you don't see that on, say, a gorilla or a chimpanzee. So it would make sense that as we, you know, it became more and more human, as we developed this ability to grow out ridiculous lengths of hair, we would start developing means of cutting it back. Yeah. Just to keep from like strangling ourselves in the night <laughs> with our own matted braids, you
0: know? Yeah, I mean, hair doesn't grow forever. I mean, a- at some point, most uh, hair will reach a certain length where it-, it stops growing there and hair grows from different follicles and mm-hmm. stuff where it'll fall out eventually. Um, and so we-, we don't know exactly what fashion and grooming trends were like in the ancient world. We have some evidence from like uh, ancient artistic depictions of other humans. Mm-hmm. Uh Prehistoric people might not have had all the hair care practices of modern people, but there is some archaeological and artistic evidence that they did some stuff to their hair. Sometimes they took care of their hair, including a lot of uh, indications of braiding, especially braiding of long hair in women, but sometimes cutting hair or shaving the head. Uh, Like there are a lot of depictions of prehistoric peoples that appear to have no hair on their head. So why would that be? Well, again, it's really hard to know for sure why fashion and grooming trends arise, especially in the ancient world where there are no written records. But one possibility is that cutting hair short or shaving it would help prevent infestation of parasites like lice. Mm. Uh, It would make hygiene easier. And it might possibly have been involved in sexual selection or attractiveness. Uh, This is related to the hypothesis that our our hominid ancestors, like why did they lose the thick covering of body hair that they had a few million years ago? One hypothesis is, well, they lost most of their body hair as a way of repelling parasites. And that would turn into a kind of honest advertising of hygiene and health to mates. You could say like, look at my relatively hairless skin. No parasites hiding anywhere in there. And yet the ability to grow a ridiculous beard (laughs) remained. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So again, we don't know. But it's possible that something like that helped push hair grooming priorities uh, such as cutting hair short or shaving the head or trimming the beard. But we don't know for sure. But yeah, so ancient peoples did some things to their hair. We have some evidence of that. And it uh, it, it seems likely that before we had good metal tools, like bronze tools, they probably just used sharp knives or sharp like stone knives, mm-hmm. maybe made from flint or obsidian or whatever. Doesn't sound very pleasant.
1: Well, you know, but, but it, it does show you why they, they would develop, uh, you know, increasingly better means of doing it. You know, you'd, mm-hmm. want, you'd want it to be a more pleasant experience and you'd want to have more, uh, you know, aesthetically pleasing results, especially if it was something that was involved in mate selection, which I think is not a stretch to imagine because it essentially that's the case today. Right. We're, we're
0: just very fortunate today to have scissors for haircutting. Now, uh, so the scissors we're familiar with today are are usually based on what you might call the pivot model of design. And that, that's where the two blades are actually two separate pieces of metal. And they're connected – each one blade is connected to one handle for the fingers and then they're joined together by a pin. And then that becomes the fulcrum of the, the two levers moving open and close. But an interesting design feature of the scissors of the ancient world is that they often – did not have a pivot. They did not have multiple pieces even. They're built out of a single piece of metal with no pivoting parts. Now, how would that work? Well, it's actually pretty simple if you think about it for a second. It worked on the principle of a spring.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And I say, and by the way, I certainly want to come back and do an episode on springs uh-huh. to to fully invoke Coily, uh, the uh, the spirit <laughs> of springs, uh, the, the gremlin of springs, uh, so that we can consider what would a world would be like with no springs.
0: That is one of the best MST shorts of all time. I,
1: I'm so excited. I got to show it to my son over the weekend because he was he asked in the car. He would found a little spring, uh-huh. and he asked. He said. What would happen if there were no springs? What? Yeah, and I was he like, straight up. Asked? Yeah, he, he asked, and I was like, Well, I have a short to show you, and <laughs> so we started watching it, and and he was like, I think he's evil. I think Corey's evil. And I'm like, No, you got to watch the whole thing. He's teaching
0: a lesson. Everything's going to turn out okay. He's like Clarence the Angel, and it's a Wonderful Life, except instead of for instead of George Bailey, it's Spring. Exactly. Let's see what the world would be like. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so you can you can make a pair of scissors without any pivoting or moving parts out of a single piece of metal just on the principle of a spring. And this is how most ancient scissors were made. Uh, for example, I just picked one random example I found in a museum collection online. It's part of the Metropolitan Museum of Arts collection. And this is a pair of scissors from the Tang Dynasty period of China. It's dated to sometime between the 7th and 9th century. It's an ornate pair of silver scissors with partial gilding showing birds in flight and vines and branches, and it has no pivot. Instead, try to picture this. The shears are, they're they're all one piece of metal, and the handle is a rod of silver that's curved into an infinity sign, or like a sideways figure eight shape, except that one of the halves of that infinity sign does not close. It's not another closed curve, but rather it turns into two straight blades shooting out that sort of cross each other. And then the handle functions as a spring. It's elastic, and it stores the mechanical energy there in, in the tension of the metal. And so you would sort of squeeze the infinity sign to close the blades upon each other. Basically, think of a pair of tweezers Mm -hmm. and
1: you have the basic like mechanics of it in mind. Yeah. Except instead of pinching, it brings two blades together to cut. Uh, you can also compare this to the difference between like salad tongs that are scissor-like and yeah. have the pivot to like simple tongs that are one piece of metal, uh, you know, with uh, little claw bits on each
0: end. Exactly right, yeah. And so not all ancient spring-based shears or scissors had an infinity-shaped handle. You could also create them with just a simple U-shaped bend as long as it had the right elastic properties to bring the shears together. And that's what a lot of the simpler ones I've seen look like. Uh, but sh- uh, th- So this was 7th to ninth. Century, that would be 7th to 9th century CE, scissors and shears go back a lot farther than this. You can find them even in the very ancient world.
1: Yeah, we know uh, of surgical shears uh, and scissors used in ancient Mesopotamia. Um, I was uh, looking in uh, a paper by um, Adamson titled Surgery in Ancient Mesopotamia, and the author points out that there, you know, there was little or no difference between domestic tools and surgical tools. And this included, for instance, tweezers, which w- would have been used for uh, hair removal, for uh, you know, uh, remove unwanted hair from the body, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, in, as we've kind of already discussed, has always been an issue. But uh, but then also there were the shears or the scissors, um, uh, which I I believe is c or urpu based on this text. And uh, these would have been quote coarse metal instruments mainly used for shearing animals, but also good enough for surgery. (laughs) Yeah, and they were the ancient Mesopotamians were carrying out a variety of procedures, including um, the surgical creation of eunuchs, Mm -hmm. but also they were uh, using trepanation uh, at times. So I mean, it's not like. They were tepid about getting in there with their uh, household and uh, livestock tools uh, to, you know, address issues or I guess create issues in the human body.
0: Yeah. Now, the ancient Egyptians used shears as well.
1: Yeah. I was looking at Encyclopedia of Hair, a Cultural History by Victoria Shero. And uh, she points out that the ancient Egyptians had scissors as far back as 1500 BCE, and you know they would just they would use these tools and other tools to cut hair and uh, and and address hair along with combs, hairpins, and various hair removal devices. That uh, uh, and I'm assuming those are are, we're talking about tweezers as well.
0: Mm -hmm. I was reading a similar thing about shears from Iron Age Europe in the collection of the British Museum. A a few of the Items I found there that were like versions of shears or scissors seem to also have been used to cut hair. At least that's the current interpretation by the curators there. And they were commonly found among the grave goods of people, especially it seems like relatively high status people. So you're a guy who got buried in first century uh, Roman Britain or something. You might have a pair of iron shears in your grave goods.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, you want to look good for your funeral. (laughs) And then uh, I also found a a cool example from the ancient Roman times, the forfex, they were called. And this consisted of of two blades on a common metal loop, essentially the spring-loaded shears or scissors we were discussing earlier. And by the way, there was also a Roman gladiator class known as a scissor, uh, meaning to cut. But apparently very little is ultimately known about it. And none of the theories involve a gladiator with uh, like a big pair of dumb scissors. Um, in fact, the depictions I saw or the interpretations are that it had some, you know, something like a pendulum-shaped uh, blade on the end of like a tube that was fitted over uh, one of the gladiator's arms. Sick. Yeah. I mean pretty – I mean if you're into gla- gladiatorial combat, it still sounds <laughs> – pretty cool. Uh, and I, and I, the thing was, I, if, I wouldn't put it above the Romans to have sent somebody out with a pair of livestock shears uh, to try and battle somebody with a net and a trident. Uh, but as far as I can tell, there's no evidence that they uh, ever did that.
0: Okay, time for a little exploration of the word scissors. Good word because is there a singular scissor? Is that a word? Isn't that what happens when you take a pair of kitchen
1: scissors and you snap them in half, you know, the kind that, that uh where the pivot unlocks? I have one scissor and another scissor here. Yeah, and I must put both scissors into the dishwasher for the evening.
0: No, it it is not like that. <laughs> there is a word scissor, but it's a verb, right? Okay, you can scissor something. You can cut up a piece of paper. Uh, it seems to be a new coinage. It okay. just comes from the word scissors. For uh,
1: instance, if I if I sleep with a body pillow, I might scissor the body pillow with my legs.
0: Okay, you yeah. could do that too. Uh, th- there was an interesting little article on the, the word scissors by the editors of Merriam-Webster a while back, and they they point out that scissors is an example of a of what's known as a pluralitantum, uh, you know, an all plural, a word in which a singular object is represented by a plural form word and it's grammatically treated as a plural form word, right? Like you say, the scissors are on the table even though it's just one pair of scissors. Oh, yes. Are is for the plural verb. Uh, and this isn't always the case, but it happens with a lot of objects that I notice are like bilaterally symmetrical and uh, so like pants or trousers that's plurali tantum, right? Yeah, there's no but pant. But see, that really puts
1: you in a bind because what if you come in, into a room and on the table there is a half a pair of kitchen uh, scissors uh-huh. and there is a half a pair of pants? Uh-huh. Like it would be easier to say somebody left a scissor and a pant on this table, right? But instead, you have to you know go the extra distance to describe uh, you know, what you're you, were, you were actually seeing.
0: Yeah. Another example: glasses or spectacles. There uh-huh. is such thing as a singular spectacle, but that means something different. Hmm.
1: But with glass, I mean, you do it is a glass, it is. Well, that's not a looking it's glass, a it's a glass. piece of glass, yeah. yeah, it's true. Uh,
0: yeah, a singular spectacle. Now, there is such a thing as a singular lens for one eye, but that's not a spectacle, that's, that's a, a monocle, monocle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, other examples of plurali tantums, these are not ones that are uh, bilaterally s- symmetrical, but uh, how about uh, feces, yeah, entrails, mm-hmm. riches. Mm-hmm. alms. There's no singular of any of these words. So the word in English scissors is derived from the old French uh, "ciseaux," I think which means scissors or shears which comes from the vulgar Latin scissorium which means a cutting instrument.
1: Ah, and this would have been the, the key to the, the Roman uh, gladiatorial class.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Now the English spelling of scissors uh, was changed at one point to include a C, so S-C-I in scissors. Now why would that be? Well that's probably because English English linguists incorrectly assumed that the word was derived from the Latin terms starting with SCI that have to do with splitting or cutting. The words that ultimately probably give us the SCI root in the word science hmm. from the Latin scire, meaning to know, related to the idea of cutting because you, when you know something, you make distinctions, you separate, you dissect. Yes, you must take it apart and figure out how it works. Right. So the moral of the story is that knowledge will cut you. One more weird fact I came across. Apparently, according to some dictionaries of usage, in the 19th century, a common exclamation of frustration in English was oh, scissors. I've never come across this in the wild. Like, oh, scissors. Right. Or or could you adapt it
1: and be like, what the scissors? <laughs> All right, on that note, we're going to take one more break. and When we come back, we will discuss uh, the legacy of scissors.
0: All right, we're back. All right, so uh, we've been talking about scissors. Scissors, of course, became a very common household implement used in – you know, they're used in professional settings and household settings. They're sort of general scissors and then they're very specialized scissors. Of course, we've mentioned that like scissors that need that need to be, you know, powerful for cutting through heavy-duty stuff like metals will often be designed with like long handles and-, and short blades. But there are also other special designs for scissors that have arisen in the modern world, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean so- – certainly if you look at medical scissors Yeah. there're there are many different varieties to aid in a plethora of specific surgical tasks so you have stitch scissors you have suture scissors you have umbilical scissors you have operating scissors cuticle scissors nail scissors etc and that's not even getting into scissor like instruments uh, that uh, you know or that are more about pinching or clamping such as hemostats hmm. And then, of course, we have the world of crafting uh, where you have so many different varieties of scissors as well.
0: What, uh, Robert, do you know what pinking shears are? I know that word, but I don't know what it does. Uh, these, are like, these are little tiny ones, right? Are uh, they? I think so.
1: They're, or maybe I'm confusing them, but aren't these the ones that you use on uh,
0: – aren't these for like plants? Oh, I don't think so. I think they've got some kind of – I'm thinking of of pruning shears. Maybe we shouldn't talk about it if if we don't know what they are. I know they're a thing. We do not pretend
1: to have all knowledge
0: (laughs) of all scissors. We're not scissor masters here. The people out there in crafts that might use pinking shears, they've got like like ripply blades or something.
1: Oh, well, you you know, like the alligator type scissors uh, for – because that's the thing. You have – you have varying, you know, sizes of crafting scissors just as you have varying sizes of, uh, of medical scissors mm-hmm. uh, determining on what you're cutting and, you know, how – you know, with the length of the cut, the precision of the cut. And then also you have the various designs they may cut uh, like, uh, you know, the sort of alligator toothed uh, serrated blade scissors that, uh, you know, allow you to leave behind a pattern. Mm-hmm. Now, well, ultimately, useless for anything else but, but <laughs> cutting
0: uh, making a cool pattern when you cut i 'm sure somebody 's come up with a good use for them uh, now another one is uh, trauma shears. I think this is pretty interesting. Shears that are specially designed to be able to cut through heavy duty stuff while at the same time not stabbing or poking people oh, like they, cutting clothing from an injured individual exactly they, they might be used by say a paramedic responding to a, you know a medical incident where you need to get some somebody's clothes off real quick to, you know, treat a wound or something Mm -hmm. or even just see what's wrong with them to get under there and see the problem. Uh, But maybe they're wearing heavy-duty jeans or something like that or, you know, you can't move them, so you you just cut through the clothes. So they're in an angle that makes it easier to cut through clothes without your hand getting in the way. But then also they've got like just a little barrier at the bottom so that they're not stabbing or cutting your skin while you're going along trying to cut them off even if the clothes are tight. But another great example of of life-saving scissors, I guess this would be the exact opposite of the the abhorred shears of atropos. These would be— the Jaws of Life.
1: Now, this is this is interesting because, of course, I prior to this episode, I had heard of the Jaws of Life, of course. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just kind of like a common refrain of like, oh, you're going to get the Jaws of Life. Sometimes even used as a joke, uh, uh, weirdly enough, uh, you know, where someone's going to need to be removed from some sort of like a vehicle or something. Get the Jaws of Life. And the thing is, I always imagined the Jaws of Life as being an instrument for prying something open. Mm-hmm. Uh, but
0: they are ultimately more like scissors than I gave them credit. Well, It's actually both. Uh, I mean – it depends on what you call the jaws of life, but there are hydraulic tools for be, for doing both of those things. Okay, um, so I would consider the jaws of life not only a great invention, but a great example of branding because how can you not remember that name? Mm-hmm. Whoever, whenever the company decided to start calling them jaws of life, that was a smart move. But what are they? So technically, the jaws of life uh, is a term referring to a set of hydraulic cutting tools that are used to help extract people who are trapped in hard enclosures, usually metal enclosures. M- most often, this is going to be people who are trapped inside cars after auto accidents. So you picture the scene to understand the problem. A car has been in a high-velocity freeway collision or maybe you know wrecked on a racetrack or anything like that, and it's partially crushed. And there are passengers inside the car who are injured but still alive. First responders need to be able to get the passengers out so they can get medical treatment, so they can stop bleeding and all that. But because of the way the car was deformed in the accident, the doors won't open. So how do you get them out? Well, there was an inventor and auto company founder named George Hurst who thought about this problem. It was in the 1960s. Supposedly, the idea came to him after he was watching an auto race event where there was a crash and it uh, took the emergency team a long time to get the driver out of the damaged car. And when you're injured in a car crash, that time waiting can be the difference between life and death. There's something first responders talk about. This like sort of like the magic hour or the golden hour. Like Mm -hmm. people need to get to the hospital within an hour if possible. Okay, that's Uh, different
1: than the golden hour in photography,
0: right? It just means that. I mean, everybody's case is different, obviously, Mm -hmm. but like chances are better the sooner you get people there, basically, right? So George Hurst and his company developed this tool that would later come to be known as the Jaws of Life, and patented it in the early 1960s. The common name, of course, comes from the expression of being snatched from the jaws of death. These ah, the jaws of life that snatch you first, I guess. Oh, that's good. But hopefully, they don't snatch you because that wouldn't be good. There, there are actually multiple hydraulic power tools used in extractions like this today. So you've got a hydraulic spreader. This is kind of like reverse scissors. It spreads apart a gap in the metal. Uh, imagine like prying open a crushed but partially open door.
1: And this is basically what I assumed the, the jaws of life
0: were. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a hydraulic ram that can be thought of as doing a similar kind of job, like spreading things apart but maybe at more distance or more powerfully. It can be used to say – Unfold partially collapsed auto body frames. For example, if the passenger's legs are trapped under the dash of the car and the car is sort of folded in on you, the ram can be used to spread the car body apart so that they can get you out. And then the hydraulic cutter, uh, which is what would be most analogous to shears, this would be like giant hydraulic scissors, this is used for cutting things off. So cutting off doors, but then also cutting through roofs and parts of body frames so that they can peel the roof off. These are often a safer solution than the old solution, which was circular saws, which took longer. They could throw sparks and debris at you, and they could injure the person trapped inside. If you've never seen Jaws of Life in action, it's actually – It's kind of awe-inspiring. There are lots of videos of it online where they just go in and they're just slicing up the car body to get the people out.
1: Oh, wow. I wonder if there are ever like just live demos uh, of this technology where they just like come out to the like lo- local fair and mm-hmm. – because uh, there's no, – you know, at various uh, fairs, you know, people want to see a car destroyed either by a Bigfoot truck yeah. or as part of some sort of a competition where you like pay, you know, a few dollars and like you beat the car with a, uh, you know, the baseball bat or something or yeah, a sledgehammer. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Donate an old junk car and then they cut it up with the with the hydraulic cutters. Yeah, so. and then it would be a
1: demonstration of the, the technology. Surely that is done somewhere. I'm sure we'll hear from uh, a listener with an example of just such a demo.
0: So if the shears that snip the thread of life are the, the abhorred shears of Atropos, what are what are the life-saving shears called? What's the Greek, is there a Greek goddess of like life or birth or something? I mean, uh, you could
1: go with Persephone, I guess. Hm, mm, okay. You know, I also can't help but but think about uh natural inspiration for for scissors and shears, you know? Mm. Because uh, obviously even ancient peoples would have uh, seen the crab or the scorpion, mm. and granted, what we're talking about there are generally instruments for pinching, right uh, not for uh, the, the sort of sheer cutting technique that we're talking about here. but I wonder if, if still these biological adaptations might have served as some level of inspiration for you know early attempts at scissors.:
0: Yeah well, an, another thing you could look at would just be like teeth uh, like cutting teeth coming together right. to yeah. chop at things, yeah yeah I mean
1: our, our jaw are essentially scissors I mean it comes back to the jaws of life and the jaws of death
0: right uh huh all right, well, I guess that's our scissors adventure.
1: Yeah, uh, this, was, this was a fun one. This was uh, you know, ultimately an example of, of a very simple invention and yet another one of these inventions that we, we cannot tie to a specific uh, – even a specific time period necessarily and certainly not to a specific inventor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still just a fascinating chance to, to take a bit of just ubiquitous technology and, uh, and, and stop and look at it. In a new light, and try to appreciate the, the 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 glory of this particular invention and how it has changed, uh, you know, the, the the way that we live as humans. Would scissors be among your grave goods? I'm thinking probably not. I don't really <laughs> have any need for scissors in the afterlife. <laughs> but maybe you should pack some just in case. I don't know.
0: You You're going to be one of those shaggy-haired ghosts. <laughs> All right. If
1: you want to check out more episodes of Invention, head on over to inventionpod.com. That's the website. And if you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is tell your friends about us. Make sure you have subscribed to the show. And if you have the power to do so, uh, give us some, a nice star rating. Leave us a nice review. That sort of thing helps out the show in the long run.
0: Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at inventionpod.com. Invention is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.